Hello, 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 everybody. This is the 14th episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Green. I am very thrilled to be here with you. Uh, we got a wonderful episode for you guys today. Um, we got the usual co-host in the building. Um, we're going to say hello to Dave Latham on the phone. Dave, say hi to everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Yes, it's a very exciting episode. And Jordan DeCoe. Jordan, give a shout out and say hey to everybody. Good afternoon, everybody. How are you doing? We are we're going to have the best episode of this Red Sox Unfiltered podcast history. I can guarantee it. Um, but we're actually going to do it a little different today, guys. So in the past, we've kind of started by breaking down the series. But since we're recording on a Saturday, we usually record on a Sunday. Um, we're not just going to break down the Royal Series because only one game of three has happened at this point. So we'll talk about that game later. But we're just going to get into some big topics. And the Red Sox, um, well, not the Red Sox, but MLB is going to have their selection show on Sunday, and that's going to happen at 7 o'clock on July 8th, which is Sunday. And so we're going to talk about some all-star selections for the Red Sox. Um, so I want to update everyone on the final ballot, which came out a couple days ago. Um, here's how the Red Sox stand. Mookie is in first among outfielders. JD is first in DHs, and Mookie Betts has like 3 million votes. JD's got like 2 million. Andrew Benintendi is sixth in outfielders. He's like hovering with some really good good outfielders because that American League outfield is stacked as a position. Jackie Bradley Jr. is 12th. Don't know how that happened, but it did. And then Mitch Moreland is third in first base voting, which is weird. He's behind Jose Breu and Guriel of the Astros. And then Sandy Leone, Sandy Leone, our beloved Sandy Leone, is nowhere to be found, unfortunately, in the top five of catchers. So um, I'm going to start with you, Jordan. What do you think of these results so far? Um, I mean, with, uh, I think it's pretty fair with uh, Mookie in the outfield, and then you have uh, Judge and Trout, uh, and then obviously you have JD as as a DH. Uh, what I'm really lo- looking forward to is where Mitch Moreland ends up in the ballot. Um, I think he said he was third in the running, but um, above Jose Abreu. Uh, I, I'm really curious to see um, where he ends up because I, I think I'd like to see him, at, you know, as a reserve, given how how good of a season he's had. Yeah, oh, for sure. I, like, I, I think there's even an argument that he should be the starter right now. And Dave, you actually wrote an, ar- right. an article today, right, um, about the your American League All-Star picks. So what do you think about Mitch Moreland as an All-Star? So, yeah, um, I did write that article. went up just uh, maybe half an hour before the podcast. Um, so I agree wholeheartedly with Mookie starting and JD starting. I don't think there's really any reasonable argument that one could make against it. Um, obviously, Jackie Bradley should not be anywhere near at the all, an all-star game appearance. It's just not his season, but so much of this voting is just a popularity contest. He plays for the Red Sox, and people know his name. I get it. Um, but, but, Jordan, what you said about you want Moreland to make it as a reserve, I say I want Moreland to make it as a starter. Um, Abreu's right now the top spot, and he's he's a great player, but he's having a down year by his standards, and Moreland is just playing out of his mind this year. So when you look at their numbers next to each other, Moreland and Abreu, Moreland has Abreu beat in just about everything. Uh, his av- his uh, slash line average on base percentage and slugging is 228, 288, two, uh, sorry, 288, 354, 533. This is Mitch Dang. Moreland. And he has a 139 WRC+. Abreu, meanwhile, has a 265, 322, 461, slash 
with a 111 WRC. And so really, Moreland's beating Abreu there, and Moreland's a Gold Glove caliber guy every year. It's not like Abreu's a, like that much of a better defensive player. It's not. He's not. Right now, Moreland does deserve to start. Abreu should be the backup, and um, I don't really know why Moreland isn't. It must just be a name recognition sort of deal. So Moreland for the starting first base role. Yeah, and then it's also like, what other? yeah, I think Moreland should start, but for Abreu, it's like, what other player would the White Sox have to be their representative? I don't know, Yon Mankata. Not a lot of good things happening for the White Sox, but in terms of Moreland, like I'll I'll I'll, I'll like piggyback off what you said. Um, among first basemen with 200 innings under their belt, Moreland or 200 plate appearances, wow, 200 innings, 200 plate appearances. Moreland leads in slugging percentage and WRC plus among first American League first basemen, and he's second in in on base percentage, trailing only Justin Smoke, and he's second in F4, trailing Matt Olson. So like. He's like the best overall hitter in the group, and he plays great defense. I mean, he's like a perennial gold glove guy. Um, he hasn't played as much as the other guys, which is maybe his only knock. But other than that, he's been incredible this year. I don't think there's any case. There's you can make a case that he shouldn't be an all star, especially like when you compare who else is in this group. I mean, maybe Matt Olson can get some love. He's having a really nice sneaky season. But like Justin Smokes having a good season. Jose Abreu's having a an ass season, especially relative to Jose Abreu. So I don't know how more than will not make the team. He should be starting, to be honest with you. So we'll see where that what happens with that. Um, I really hope Moreland's in this game because he deserved it. He's had a monster first half, and kudos to him. Um, he's dealing with back spasms right now, so hopefully we'll see him in the lineup soon. Um, so I wanted to ask, now that we're moving on from like the position players what pitchers, which Red Sox pitchers should bear consideration? Um, Dave, I'm going to start with you. Which pitchers do you think should make it? Okay, so the pitchers from the Red Sox, obviously you got to put Chris Sale on there. He's one of the top pitchers in the league. Uh, should he start the All-Star game? Probably not. For my money, that job is Verlander's to lose. Verlander's just having an unbelievable season. He's pitching better than he did in 2011 when he won the MVP. Um, his numbers are just absurd. Look him up. He's probably going to be the guy, but Moreland should definitely be the or um, Moreland. God, Chris Sale <laughs> should definitely be the second or third pitcher on this roster. He absolutely deserves it. Um, you know, in the last six starts, he has a 109 ERA. His season stats are amazing. He's just the best. Um, other than him, Craig Kimbrell's probably going to earn a slot at the back end of the bullpen. He's not having the same great year he had last year. But he's still having a phenomenal season in his own right. Um, he definitely belongs on this team, albeit he doesn't belong on it over guys like uh, like Trinian of Oakland or Chap- probably not even Chapman of the Yankees. So I think he he's going to fight for one of the last spots on the uh, relief unit. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said. Um, I think Chris Sale's definitely going to make it. I think there's no way he doesn't make it. If he doesn't make it, I'll, I'll riot. I know I'm pretty amped up at the fact that Sandy Leone's not getting consideration, but if Chris Sale doesn't make it, something's wrong. He might even pitch the All-Star game, to be honest. He might even be the starter. So we'll see how that progresses. But Kimbrell's an interesting case because, as you said, Dave, Blake Tryon, Roldis Chapman, and even Edwin Diaz have been better than 
Kimbrell has this season, quite frankly. Kimbrell's having a very good year, but he's not having an amazing year. So it'll be interesting to see if he gets in, especially because Chad Green, and the Yankees setup guy, um, he's really having a good season in its own right and deserves to make it. So that's four guys who have better cases than Kimbrell at this point, other than the fact that his name is Craig Kimbrell and he belongs in the All-Star game because of that. Um, Jordan, what do you think? Which Red Sox pitchers should bear consideration in your mind? You know, um, now that you mention it, uh, I don't think this is going to happen, but like, I, I wouldn't, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see uh, Eduardo Rodriguez get into uh, get on the team. I mean, he, I think like the the most like most common knock that we can all agree on uh, on Rodriguez is that he struggles to go past uh, six innings. Um, but so far, he's he's had a very efficient, um, very efficient season. He can, he, he can grind out innings. Um, I I know he's coming off like a couple rocky starts, but. I mean, so uh, so far this season, like he's done pretty well. So I think that's my pick for a for a Red Sox pitcher. I mean, other than Chris Sale, as uh, as David uh, mentioned. Yeah, I respect that, Jordan. That was that was bold. I think Eduardo Rodriguez is in a very good season, and like honestly, if it wasn't for the last two starts and like a gluttony of really good pitchers in the American League, I think Eduardo Rodriguez definitely could be in the conversation. Um, again, his last two starts were pretty rough, but it was two starts, and like you said, his innings has always been a problem. He doesn't go very deep into games. Uh, Dave, what do you think about Eduardo Rodriguez potentially being in the All Star game? Was that something that? people should consider is that going to happen what do you think i think he belongs there one day but he doesn't belong there yet he's having a good season but he's not having a great season like uh like jordan said he doesn't really go deep into doesn't go deep into games his era is good it's uh, i don't know exactly what it is but i want to say it's in the mid three range which is a very good number he's having a good season but some of the guys out there i mean Severino, Sale, Verlander, Cole, those guys are like having ERAs that are sitting in the twos, and you can't put every starter in the league. Paxton's another one. I don't have his numbers off the top of my head, but he's having a great year. He's wonderful. He's better than Erod. So uh, I think Ed, Eddie will get there someday. I'm a big believer in his potential, but I don't think this is the year for him. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Rick Porcello probably has a better case than Eduardo Rodriguez at this point, but it's close. Um, but I don't, I don't imagine any of them getting in. But they're interesting guys to put in the conversation. They're having very good years. Even David David Price before that uh, that start against the Yankees, which we will not speak of. Actually, we will speak about it later. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be fun. Um, but we're actually going to move on here. Do you guys uh, actually do you have any f- concluding thoughts on the uh, All Star? Do you think there'll be any upsets, Dave? Uh, do you have anything extra to add? Um, not particularly. No, I think we've uh, covered all that needs to be covered. So. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Jordan, what about you? Anything else you want to add before we move uh, on? Yeah. No, I'm fine. We can move on. What'd you say, Jordan? Well. I said, I said I'm, I'm fine. I, I have nothing else to say. Okay, cool. All right, so we're going to move on here. Um, so the Kansas City Royals, um, they got smacked last night. The Red Sox actually, at, they smacked them so hard. It was a 10-5 to game. Actually, that's not really a smack. That's like a five-run differential, but it felt like a smack. Um, they did just come off a sweep of the Nationals, which was very nice. And, you know, they... Chris Sale was dominant. He went six innings, one earned run, 12 strikeouts. Alexander Bogarts popped a home run. J.D. Martinez did a home run. Mookie Betts hit a home run. It was just a really good game to watch. Um, 
Jordan, do you have any comments about last night's game that you want to talk about? Yeah, I, I didn't catch all of it, but um, I, I mean, I, I saw the box score and like it, you know, coming off of a of a sweep of the Nationals and then to go into uh, the next series against the Royals and put up a, uh, I think it was eleven runs. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great it's a great sign for our offense that that, that they can uh, you know keep rolling into the next series. Definitely. What about you, Dave? Anything you want to talk about with that game last night? I just want to know what happened to Hamill. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that he was a really good pitcher. Um, he was part of the 16 Cubs, which uh, won the World Series on the back of arguably one of the greatest rotations of our time. You know, they had Lester Lackey, and Hamill was a big part of that. But he has just been an absolute nightmare ever since he joined the Royals, this year especially. And we just just clobbered the crap out of him. We got eight <laughs> runs and two innings off him. Everyone went long, and as someone who I really like watching those 16 Cubs, it just it just astonishes me how a guy like that can fall so fast. Yeah, it, it was not pretty for Jason Hamill. Didn't the Red Sox do that to him earlier this year as well in Fenway Park? I think they did. I think this is the second time they beat the crap out of him. So, yeah, Jason Hamill. I don't know what happened to him. So, I actually have a question based off this. Well, actually... Starting with the Royals, which was July 6th to July 30th, the Red Sox do not play a team above 500 or even 500. They have a very easy schedule, and I, I think everyone in the Red Sox verse is well aware of this. Um, they play the Phillies on the 30th. So it kind of made me wonder, like, do people prefer to the Red Sox to play these easy teams and beat up on them like last night, or would you rather play a harder team in, in a close game? So I'm going to start with you, Dave. Do, do you prefer the Red Sox to beat up on teams, or would you rather them play close games? Which is more enjoyable for you? Um, well, do they win the close games? That's the, you know, the most important thing. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, um, you want the Sox to win. That's the ultimate outcome. Anything else kind of just feels like nit- nitpicking. But um, honestly, I'd, from a pure entertainment standpoint, I'd love to see him see more close games because yesterday you could have turned the game off after the second inning and you knew it was going to really after the first pitch when Mookie let off with the homer you game, that game was over before it even started but um, from a pure team standpoint I'd much rather see them dominate these uh, really bad teams because a good team is supposed to beat these bad teams that's what they do otherwise you're not really that good and I know that sounds incredibly obvious but it's true you need to really take advantage when these weak part of the schedules come up because, you know, before this we played the Mariners twice, um, the Yankees, the the Nats, and I think we played another good team in there too. So, I mean, you got to really, that was a really hard schedule. We came out of it, we did pretty well, and now you really got to, with these bad teams, you really got to beat up on them, make sure you get the wins you need, and just keep on chasing, adding to that division lead. Yeah, the Red Sox were coming off of a stretch where they played the Mariners. Good. Angels, eh, they should be better than they are, but they're, like, derailed by injuries. But they were above 500, so they're pretty good. The New York Yankees and then the Washington Nationals, they went a combined 9-3. and three. Two of those losses were against the Yankees. So, yeah, they had a really good stretch against pretty good teams. So it was very encouraging. And we'll see what they do against these really bad teams. Um, Jordan, what about you? Do you prefer the Red Sox to beat up on teams, or would you rather them play a close game, assuming that they both they win both times because Dave pointed out the flaw in this exercise. What, what is more enjoyable to you? I mean, more enjoyable as a baseball fan is the one-run games, but like I'm with Dave. is When you get an opportunity like uh, the Red Sox have to play uh, 
you know, the, the softer portion of their schedule. Like, I want them to uh, to beat up on, I guess, the I, I, how do I put this? The, the lesser teams. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say that the lesser teams um, and like you know, teams that not that are not as good as the Red Sox. So. Like you gotta, you gotta take advantage of opportunities that you have, and uh, and the Red Sox have an opportunity to, uh, you know, to stack that that uh, division lead. So I'm with I'm with Dave on this one. Yeah, I I'm actually a huge fan of close games. Like I enjoy when the Red Sox are playing. Do- like I I think you guys agree. It's really fun when like they're playing like these one run games with the Yankees or the Mariners or like an, any other good team. It, I mean the Yankee the, the last Yankee Red Sox series was very lopsided both every single night. So it wasn't those like quintessential four hours like nail biting games that we're accustomed to seeing, but. That that's the kind of baseball I'd like to see. That's entertaining to me. I'm not a huge fan of blowouts. They kind of bore me a little bit. Even if the Red Sox are, I, I love to see the Red Sox have like go absolutely rake every single at bat. But my preference would be a close game. And um, yeah, but moving on from that, the Yankees also have a really easy schedule too. Um, the next month, or actually two months, so they only play two. Te- they only have two series against above 500 teams in July and August. Not just July, but July and August, they play two above 500 teams in the Red Sox and Indians. They do, however, play the Rays twice, who are a game under 500 and are a pretty good team. But yeah, they have a they have a pretty easy schedule. Actually, they have an easier schedule than the Red Sox going forward. So a lot of people are assuming that the Red Sox are going to make up a lot of ground in this stretch, but. I don't know if that's necessarily true because the Yankees have a really easy schedule. But, you know, the Rays demolished them last series, so we can hope for much of the same. But the last thing that I want to talk about with this series is the Tyler Thornburg debut. Yes, he really does exist. He is alive. Um, I think it was 557 games since he was traded, and this is the 557th game, and he's made his debut. So what did you guys think of uh, the return of Tyler Thornburg? One inning, one earned run. Uh, Dave, I'm going to start with you. Do you have any takeaways from the return? Um, I'm just glad to see that he's back after his first appearance since Vietnam. Um, You know, after a while, you start forgetting that the guy even exists. And I'm kind of mad at the Red Sox Unfiltered Twitter followers because when he came back in the game, I tweeted out um, watching Tyler... Thornburg pitch and it was hilarious. Picture of that M&M's commercial from the early 2000s yeah. with Santa Claus. It's like he does exist. They do exist. <laughs> and like it got like maybe one retweet and three likes. That was gold, people. That was Come gold. They missed an opportunity. So, um, yeah. But aside from the tweet, I think they had a really good outing. Uh, that one triple he gave up. That was a product born primarily of the Red Sox playing an extreme shift on the guy. Um, I think Christopher Smith of Math Live tweeted it out that um, off the bat, that triple had a 2% chance of being a hit. The only reason it dropped is because the shift was so extreme. So really, um, he did a good job inducing uh, pretty weak contact, getting out. And um, honestly, at this point, all you want to see out of the guy is that he can actually come back. He can actually throw. You don't worry that much about the results right now just because it's been so long since he's faced Major League Talent. I'm just happy to see him back out there. Yeah, I totally agree. And for what it's worth, I your tweet really was gold. The M&M's one, I thought it was hilarious. I was like, this is easily going to get like 15 to 20 retweets. And 
come on, people. Dave gave it to you, and next time, the, I, you, you, you are good at those tweets, so there'll be another opportunity to uh, retweet that or something along those lines. But Tyler Thornburg, or wow, Tyler Thornburg did very good. I thought he did okay. Eh, eh, he did he did all right. He had um, his changeup looked really strong. Um, he garnered two whiffs on three changeups. His fastball was located well. It was kept down in the zone. The curveball struggled to get over a little bit. That was the Lucas Duda hit, and I think it they also was the one that was smoked to Brock Holt. It was a curveball down in the zone. So the curveball had a little trouble staying down, but all in all, like that that repertoire, that three pitch mix is very enticing. And the changeup seems to be his bread and butter. I could be wrong. I've heard good things about the curveball too, but yeah, this is a this is a good player. And like again, as you said, I don't really make much of the results at this point um so i thought it was a pretty good outing by thornburg i would like to note however that the red sox defense looked energized like when thornburg was out there and he was pitching like every single one of them seemed like they wanted to help this guy out like mookie Betts with that lucas duda triple which shouldn't have been a triple he was hustling so hard and he dove even though he had zero percent chance of catching it uh brock holt made that incredible play um, Jackie Bradley Jr. on one play had it was like an infield. It was like a pop up to shallow center. He sprinted so quickly in to catch it. This may be anecdotal, not even true, but it looked like they were energized and they were amped for him and they wanted to, you know, have a good inning for Thornburg and they did. Jordan, what about you? What did you think of Tyler Thornburg's debut? Um, I mean, like I said, I I, I kind of missed the game, but uh, in terms of Tyler Thornburg coming back, I mean, we're we got back a uh, you know an incredible arm, and then obviously the results you know won't be there right away. But uh, in the long haul, you know it's a you know it's great to have one um, you know one of our bullpen arms back. Yeah, because he could make a real difference. He probably will be the deciding factor if the Red Sox upgrade in the bullpen or not in the next month. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I would like to point out, I think last week we talked about Eduardo Rodriguez, and even this episode we talked about Eduardo Rodriguez, but he was struggling in his past two starts, and he had a bounce-back start versus the Nationals. He went six innings, allowed no runs. Um, and last week I was talking about how the there was a real difference in his pitch usage. Like he was not going to his changeup, which is his strikeout pitch, which is his best pitch. Everything else would fall like it, it revolves around his changeup, and he wasn't going to that. Well, in this start against the Nationals, who have a very good lineup, he used the third highest percentage of changeup that this year at. 31%. He strayed away from the cutter a little bit. The cutter's a nice uh, it's a nice pitch to mix in there, but it shouldn't dominate it like it has been in the past couple of starts. And then he used his slider 13.1% of the time, which was the most he's used in as a while. So he was using his breaking and off-speed stuff to really like set up his hard stuff, and I think that's, that's, that's successful. Eduardo Rodriguez right there. That's the guy who gets a lot of strikeouts, and that's the guy I want to see. So Kudos to Eduardo Rodriguez. I believe he pitched on July 4th. Is that right? July 4th, I think. So, yeah. Good for Eduardo Rodriguez. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I think it was a 4th. So, yeah. Good for Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, in other news, Brandon Phillips reported to Low- the Lowell Spinners for his first action of the season. Um, Dave, are you excited that Phillips is starting to make his ascent to the majors or hopefully make his ascent to the majors? I am very excited about that. So, um, for those who don't know, Brandon Phillips is um, a longtime second baseman in the league. He he plays a little bit of everything in the infield, but he's certainly best at uh, 
at second base, and I think he's a welcome upgrade to our current platoon. Nunez has been playing a lot better recently. I'll give him that, but I still believe Phillips to be an overall upgrade to the position. Uh, he's a he's a really good against left-handed pitching. He's um, which is what we need. Brock Holt is good in his own right. He's been a really good second baseman, but. If you look at his numbers, he almost always, well, not almost always, he does always wear down anytime he's asked to be the everyday guy. So I think he definitely works best on the bench rolls in a platoon with whoever the second baseman is. So I think once Phillips gets enough bats to get to get comfortable in the lineup again, I think Brandon Phillips is going to be probably the starting second baseman against lefties the rest of the year. Maybe take a few righty starts away from Holt just to keep him fresh because Phillips can hit righties pretty well, too. Not quite as well as lefties, but still pretty good. Um, I think um, that's going to be the role because we really don't know if or when Dustin Pedroia is coming back. So I'm just going to assume worst-case scenario he doesn't. I think we're ready to ride and die with Phillips and Holt the rest of the way. And I think that um, we have the most wins in baseball and the best offense with Nunez and Holt at second. Phillips is going to be an upgrade. So I really think these guys... That duo with Phillips and Holt will be good enough to carry us the rest of the way. So, in that scenario, do you see Eduardo Nunez or Blake Swihart t- being taken off the roster to make room for Brandon Phillips? I'd say Blake Swihart. Um, Nunez, yeah, I think Nunez works better when he isn't playing every day, also. And I'm also not convinced that he's been ever, this whole season, been 100% healthy uh, because as we remember last year, he, in the AL, ALDS against the Astros, he tore up his knee pretty good. Um, I think it was his first at bat of the whole series. Yeah. And after that series, he said he wasn't sure if he was ever going to be able to play baseball again. Fast forward six months, he's starting opening day. That's a really fast recovery for a knee injury, and I don't think he's ever he ever like got fully better after it. I think um, he's playing through a lot, which I give him a lot of credit for, so... I think if you keep Nunez on the bench, maybe give him some time to heal up and just use him more rotationally, you'll get a better version of him when he does play. And he, um, he has a lot of versatility, too. He's probably better as a third baseman than he is a second, so you still keep that infield depth, and Blake Swihart brings absolutely nothing. He had his chance to prove it, and he's just not doing anything this year. And for a team that's going to be in the division fight all season with the Yankees, he can't afford to let Swihart go out there, give it a month or two, and let him find his stride. You just can't do that. So I think Swihart, <clears throat> I think Swihart's the odd man out when, uh, when Phillips comes up. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. I don't know how much I don't know how much time is left for Blake Swihart as a Red Sox, but, but we'll see. The hourglass is falling for him. Um, Jordan, what about you? Are, are you excited about this Brandon Phillips news that he's reporting for action? And when, when do you think we'll see him? Would you have a timetable in mind? Um, I mean, where are we? Where are we? We're like, uh, beginning of July. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think soonest I'd like to see him like next month, uh, yeah. maybe, you know, month and a half. Uh, but in terms of, uh, Brandon Phillips making his ascension, I mean, like, like Dave pointed out, I mean, he's, he's a great, he's a great upgrade to, uh, for our second base spot. I mean, he's a former gold lover. Um, he'll be, and that, I mean, he'll be a huge upgrade. I like. I don't. I don't know how else. How much else I can add to what Dave said, other than like he's really he's really good. So I'm just gonna you know, keep it short and say like he's gonna be a huge upgrade and he's gonna be really good once he comes up to the big club. 
Yeah, and we even talked about Brandon Phillips a little bit last week and what his signing meant for the Red Sox, and so we won't go too much more about this. So we're actually going to move here, and we're going to segue to the prospects. This is going to be the first Red Sox Unfiltered Prospect Edition. Um, Dave wrote a very good article about underrated Portland Sea Dogs prospects, and then he actually subsequently interviewed uh, Matthew Kent, who was in that article, or who Dave wrote about, and that's on the site too, so check that out. It was a really nice interview. So, um, Dave, I'm going to let you talk about your Portland Sea Dog guys, and then I'll give you some of my guys who I like. So, yeah, Dave, you have the floor. All right, so I have the floor. Um, so my favorite prospect, um, I'm going more under the radar, guys. Everyone knows about Chavis. Everyone knows about Groom. But of the guys you haven't really heard that much about, uh, my favorite is, as you mentioned, pitcher Matt Kent for the Portland Sea Dogs. Um, he's a really, really nice guy. I had the chance to interview him. Great guy. Um, he's in his fourth season in uh, the Red Sox minor league system, first season in Portland, and he's having really the best year of his career. He's currently got a three seven two ERA, but that is ballooned by one really bad start where he gave up 10 runs in four innings. Take that one note, and he has... I did the math earlier, but it's something like a low threes, high two ERA. So he's really having a phenomenal season. And they say the jump from A ball to double A is one of the hardest a player can make. And in spite of that, Kent has become a better pitcher. So that really impressed me to begin with. When I spoke to him, he talked about how he's using a more cerebral strategy than he did earlier in his career. Early on, he just, he said he just attacked the hitters over and over and over again. But as he got to the higher levels, that stopped working. So he started becoming smarter with his pitches, realizing that he needs to sort of mix things up and have a different attack strategy for each batter. And it's worked wonders for him. He's having a great year. And um, he doesn't have overpowering stuff. His fastball sits in the mid in the mid eighties, his change up and slider is a bit below that. But the change up and slider have great movement and the fastball plays really well off that. I've seen a couple of his starts in real time. Guys really have really struggle against him. So I really like Kent. Um, I think he's got a real future in the Boston Red Sox bullpen. Probably not a starter because I feel like major leaguers would catch up to the uh, mid-80s fastball after seeing it three times. But I definitely could see him playing a role in a, mid, in a mid-relief arm, uh, maybe as soon as 2019-2020. Um, so the other big guy down there, he's um, not as under the radar. He's one of our top ten prospects. Is Josh Akimi. He's the first baseman slash DH. Um, he's a really great hitter when he gets the hold, when he gets a hold of the ball. He can absolutely crush it. Um, so I've seen him a few. I've seen him a few times more than I've seen Kent. And um, I went. I've seen Sea Dogs now. I've been living up in Maine since 2016. So I've seen Mancada, seen Benintendi, seen Devers come through. And when uh, when Akimi hits it just right, he can hit it just as far and just as hard as those three. He doesn't do it as consistently, and that's sort of the strike against him. His batting average and on-base percentage is a little low. He's something of an all-or-nothing hitter. But if he can become more, make more consistent contact and really um, sort of harness in on that power, because my goodness, can this kid crush it when he gets it? Um, he's going to be. He could be a definitely be a decent first baseman in the MLB. He's nothing special defensively, but he's certainly a guy you can find a role for on the team. Definitely, I I really like. And did you have Travis Lincoln in that too? Was he another guy you had? I I did have Travis Lincoln. Um, I don't know that much about him because I've seen him once or twice, and I saw him as a starter. 
And as a starter, he wasn't anything that special. I didn't get any uh, takeaways outside of this guy just throws fast. Like, you know, the spin rate must not be too good because guys are catching up to it. He's only been really good since um, he's been switched to the bullpen. And it's just been a huge, huge step for him. I don't think he's allowed a run since they switched him. That was a bit over a month and a half ago. I haven't been to a game in which he's appeared, so I can't speak too much as to why he's that successful. But he is just looking at the numbers. Um, it looks like it's helped his fastball brought up the velocity. I'm not sure if he's doing anything else differently or if this is just a fluke run. But Lincoln is really, uh, really impressive. But I wanted to spend more time on Kent and Akini since I've seen them. I've kind of scouted them out a bit more yeah. than I had Lincoln's. Which makes sense. Um, yeah, Jordan, what about you? Do you have any prospects that you like in the minor leagues that you want to speak of? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of going to go higher up on the list, on the prospect list. Uh, Brian Mata out um, from, Ven- from Venezuela. Uh, he's down with the high A uh, Salem Red Sox. Uh, I think he has a 3-12 ERA this season. And what I've, I mean, from what I've saw, from, from what I've seen, um, like he's able to, you know, keep the hits down and like keep the earned runs down for the most part. I think he, I think he had one one start this season where he gave up six hits and seven earned runs. Uh, but for the most part, like he's able to keep the runs down. The one thing I'm concerned about uh, Mata is that he can he can get a little out of control and like rack up the walks. So I mean, as he advances through the through minor league system, if he can get the walks down, I, I'm very excited for. Uh, that number four prospect, who, who I think is supposed to come up, uh, ETA is like 2020. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited for him. Yeah, he's actually was the Red Sox lone representative in the Futures game, which happens like before the home run derby and All Star break. Actually, it might happen the same day as home run derby. I don't really know. I think it happens July 15th. Could be wrong, but yeah, he's going to be on the world team. Um, Mata hasn't been the best prospect for the Red Sox this year. I think you could have gone uh, Shawren, Mike. Sharon, or you could have gone, I think that's how you say his last name, apologies if I'm wrong, or even um, you could have gone Jalen Beeks, but they, apparently the USA roster, they, how, the, how the Futures game works is they pit the world roster versus the USA roster, and the USA roster was so stacked that they didn't have room for them, so Brian Mata, I mean, it works like the All-Star game, you have to have a representative, and the Red Sox have a weaker farm system, obviously, so um, is pretty good, again, he's got a nice low three ERA, but he's struck out 56 people and he has walked 55. You don't want to see that. That's not awesome. But again, he's got a pretty high prospect pedigree. There's a lot of room to develop. The kid's 19. Um, so congratulations to him. He should be a very um, interesting prospect to watch going forward. But I have some other guys that I'd like to talk about. Um, so buckle in here real quick. So we got Ty Boutre. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but he's our triple. He's in AAA right now, actually on the 40-man roster. He's actually from Matthews, North Carolina, which is literally right next to me. So we're basically like friends by by like you know by geography, and he doesn't know that, but we're basically best friends. Um, he can hit 100 on his fastball, which is super impressive. He has a 2.11 ERA. He has a 2.83 FIP in 38 win one innings, and he has. 
6.62 strikeout per nine this year, and that is absolutely insane. He is striking out close to 14 guys per. That's like Craig Kimbrell-esque guys, and th- he's never really done this. He's never been a huge strikeout guy. He's never been a low ERA guy. He has made considerable strides this year, and the Red Sox should be expecting to see him soon because, like the with the way he's pitching, and he's in AAA right now, and there are some guys in the Red Sox bullpen who are a little dubious. This this guy deserves to get a shot, especially in September when the rosters are going to expand inevitably. So hopefully we can see him soon because they've been going with like Justin Haley and William Coveas. I, I don't know if I said that right. I could have completely butchered that name. But yeah, I think Ty Boutrez should get an opportunity here shortly. He's been he's been lights out. So watch out for him. Even Bobby Pointer has been pretty good still. I'm, I'm still a huge Bobby Pete guy. Um, hopefully he's doing okay. He's actually doing very well this year. Um, another guy I like is Bobby Dalbick. He's 23 and he is hitting the crap out of the baseball, like literally hitting the crap out of it. 17 home runs, 517 slug, but he has like, he strikes out a ton. He's got like a 31% strikeout rate. Um, and, but he's got a really good walk rate to pair with that. He's like a three true outcome prototype. So we'll see. He's an infielder. Um, he's a third baseman. I think that's his primary position. So, um, he's an interesting guy to watch going forward. Definitely intriguing, but I'm not sure if his skill set's going to train. Uh, I really do and think he's a... We'll see how he does. There's definitely some holes in his game, but he's he's somebody to keep an eye on. Um, in Greenville, which is like kind of your equi- Dave's equivalent to Portland because he lives right there. I've been going to some Greenville games. Um, Denny Reyes has been incredible for the drive, and so has Cutter Crawford, who I actually wrote about a, about a month ago um, about how he's exceeding expectations. It's like a 16th round draft pick out of FGCU, which is Chris Sale's alma mater. Um, Cutter Crawford is just phenomenal. I love Cutter Crawford. I could talk about Cutter Crawford all day, and you know what? Why not? Cutter Crawford, um, he has added a cutter, which is his name, which is really cool because, you know, the play on words is just extraordinary. And ever since he's added, like, he's put that cutter into his uh, repertoire, he's become, like, this really, really, really good pitcher. And he didn't really have it late, like, most of his college career, but then he developed it as a senior, but at that point, it was too late. So the Red Sox got him in the 16th round, and so with that cutter, he's been able to dominate competition in single A, and every stop he's been with the Red Sox, he's like a, like, sub-3 ERA right now. Cutter Crawford, really big fan. And... In Dave's territory in Portland, Double A, I really like Mike Schaurin. God, I could be completely butchering that name. I don't know. And then Esteban Kuros could be butchering that too. Um, he was actually one of the guys I really liked in spring training. I had I made a article. I wrote an article titled Three Guy Three Underrated Guys to Watch for the Red Sox in Spring Training." It was Esteban Kuros who's been hurt most of the year. I think he might be the best Red Sox infield prospect. He was they got him out of the Mexican League. Um, I think last year, and he's he he absolutely raked and he has really good play discipline but he's been hurt since like late april for the red Sox. um so i'm definitely watching out for him i don't know the timetable on when he's returned i don't think a lot of people do know but he's a guy that i'm really bullish on so yeah th- that those are my prospects for now um i think that was a pretty comprehensive uh, addition first edition of the red Sox and filter prospect um fun game we just had but yeah those are some guys to keep an eye on i'm sure there are more that we're missing um durbin feltman's apparently pretty good so i don't think he's allowed to hit yet i think i saw that in christopher smith's article um but now we're going to move on here and we have to talk about this 
our last podcast was recorded before Sunday night's uh, Yankee-Red Sox game, so we didn't get to discuss what happened then, and it was a David Price shelling. The Yankees destroyed Price. I think it was his career high. He allowed five home runs. I think it was eight earned runs, and he was, he was, ugh, it was not a good performance, and a lot of Red Sox fans are very angry, and they're clinging to the narrative that David Price can't pitch big games, that he can't pitch against the Yankees. Dave wrote an article on the site defending Price, and he got some uh, backlash for that. People were people were pretty mean. They were not happy about David Price and any excuse people were giving for him, or like any common sense that people were trying to make, like mediate between David Price being absolutely horrible. Uh, Dave, do you want to talk about David Price real quick? I'll, I'll let you have the floor on this. All right. So, necessary disclaimer before I get into this. No, I am not like. David Price's biggest fan. He doesn't have blackmail on me. Yes, the Red Sox should have signed John Lester in 2013 or 2015, but that was four years ago, and as we know from how time works, that's in the past. So there's really nothing we can do about that. David Price is on the team. John Lester isn't coming back. Let's focus on what we do have. So the biggest complaints with Price right now is that he can't pitch against the Yankees and he can't pitch in big games. To which I say yes and no. So against the Yankees, I can't like I can't deny it, and I'm not trying to. He just can't handle it. Whether it's just he can't like he just can't handle the rivalry or whatever it is, I don't know. But in, during his Red Sox tenure, Price is a 8.43 ERA, 6.17 FIP. He's allowed 13 home runs in just 47 innings. It's not good. It's ugly, and I'm not trying to defend it. However, Price, every uh, the other 141 games, is a very good pitcher. If you take away those Yankees outings, um, he's been the second-best pitcher on the entire team. So since 2016, we've had Rick Porcello, Eddie Rodriguez, and Drew Pomerantz. Pomerantz for most of 2016, so for the sake of, for the sake of this exercise, let's count it. So... Since 2016, Price has the best ERA of the three, the best FIP of the three, the best whip of the of everyone. So it's really he's the second best pitcher on this team. So the so I don't know where the whole Price can pitch to anyone argument's coming from. And when you factor in only pitching against playoff teams, so in 2016, Price actually pitched better against playoff teams than he did everyone else. So in 88 innings against playoff teams, this is 2016, Price posted a 376 ERA, 422 FIP, 114 whip. Compare that to his 2016 numbers overall against everyone, 399 ERA, 360 FIP, 120 whip. So, yeah, roughly the same numbers. If anything, he was a little bit better. 2017, uh, he pitched 27.2 innings against playoff teams. Um, during those stats, he, during those 27.2 innings, he had a 390 ERA, 413 FIP, 132 whip, and he struck out 21.3% of the batters he faced. And yes, that includes the Yankees, who made the playoffs in 2017. If you take that out, those numbers get considerably better. So, compare that to overall price in 20, in, uh, 2017. Um, he, he posted a 338 ERA, 362 FIP, 119 whip. Slightly worse than what he did 
Uh, his playoff numbers are slightly worse than what he did against regular teams, but that's kind of to be expected. Teams that make the playoffs are better than the ones that don't, so they're going to hit you a little harder. I really don't get the narrative where David Price can't pitch against playoff teams. He struggles against the Yankees. Yes, he really needs to fix that. There's no denying that. But the other 141 games a year, he's really good. So, oh my God, guys, stop complaining about John Lester. It's not happening. Yeah, people really, really regret that decision, and they really... um I, I, they're trying to live in the past, but yeah, David Price is a good pitcher. He's a fine pitcher. Um, obviously, it's not going to be worth the contract that he signed for, and people are mad about that, but he's still a quality pitcher. He's still a high-quality pitcher. Um, he's at least the Red Sox number three, um, and he's been pitching pretty dang well for three years now, so I don't know why people are so mad. It was a bad start, and he's been bad against the Yankees. I'm not going to excuse that, but... You can't dismiss like every other team that he's been really pretty dang good against, and I don't I don't know where this narrative came from. And I think he pitched out of the bullpen in 2017. He was shut down. So this price, this narrative that Price is not a big game guy is I mean there might be some substance to it, but at the same time, like that does not take away or like detract anything from the fact that he's been a really really good pitcher overall, and he adds value to the Red Sox. Um, Jordan, what about you? What do you think about David Price? Weigh in here. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think, uh, Price's struggle, like, goes beyond, um, the actual numbers because, like, Dave illustrated, uh, he's a pretty, like, overall, he's, he's done pretty well. Um, but when it comes to, I think, pitching in Boston, dealing with that Yankee Red Sox rivalry, and he's signed to a, you know, a long term, multi hundred million dollar contract. There's a lot of pressure on this guy, and um, I mean, I guess I guess we're saying that the you know the pressure does get to him at times, and you know it, it kind of showed its head once again against uh, against the Yankees on Sunday. But you know, overall, Trice is you know a pretty good pitcher, and uh, I, I just think the pressure gets to him sometimes uh, pitching in such a like highly contested uh, rivalry. Yeah, I think it does. I think it's more of a psychological thing than anything else. Obviously, like I'm, I, I can't speak to what it actually goes on his head, and like it's kind of pointless to speculate too, because like we're not David Price. We don't know if that's the case, but it definitely seems like the case. So, yeah, I hope David Price can figure that out, and he's a good pitcher. So people need to leave him alone. Um, we're gonna move on to our last topic here, and and then we'll end this show. It's been a great show, but. There, the Red Sox announced that Stephen Wright probably won't come back until after the All-Star break. Brian Johnson has been pitching in his absence, and Drew Pomeranz, who was pitching before Stephen Wright, he occupied that fifth spot, is now rehabbing in AAA, coming off of a putrid first rehab assignment in which the Twins, the AAA Twins, absolutely shelled him. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys, I'll start with you, Jordan, because we've been starting with Dave, so I'm going to be fair. Jordan, um, what do you think the Red Sox should do with their fifth rotation spot? What, what are your thoughts? Um, fifth rotation spot, listen, I think, um, what I've, I mean, what I've seen from Stephen Wright, he's, he's been phenomenal, uh, since get, since getting a regular start. Um, so when he comes back, I'd like to see Stephen Wright back in that role. And in terms of, uh, Drew Pomeranz. Um, I, th- I think we've, you know, it, it'd be, I would love to see Pomeranz come back and dominate, but at the same time, I think uh, given his early season struggles, like I think Cora or, or whoever's in charge of uh, Pomeranz and starts needs to have a shorter leash on him. Um, I would love, so 
I mean, I love to see Pomeranz get a few spot starts in the, uh, in the fifth slot, but I mean, if it doesn't work out, um, you know, things do have to change. So I guess I'm alluding to like putting him in the bullpen or, you know, figuring out a different role for him because, you know, I, I think there's something, I think Pomeranz will come in handy. It's just like, I really like, I just don't think Pomeranz should be given that long of a leash when he, when he comes back. Um, so I'd love to see uh, Stephen Wright uh, come back to that fifth slot. Yeah, and I think Wright earned it, even though he got shelled in his last start um, against the Seattle Mariners when he gave up like 10 earned runs. Brian Johnson has been fine um, as a spot starter, but I don't think anyone thinks of that as like the the rest of the season solution. Maybe Drew Pomeranz gets a start before the All-Star break um, in place of Stephen Wright. If he's healthy enough, then maybe a start or two to see how he does. And if he you know does what Drew Pomeranz has done for the majority of 2018, then he can start uh, his career as a reliever, um, at least for the indefinite future. Dave, what do you think they should do with the starting rotation or the fifth spot? So, I mean, I think it's, I think a lot of it all depends on when uh, Pomeranz gets back. Obviously, I prefer Pomeranz or right o- over uh, Johnson in the rotation. Johnson's fine for what he is, but he really shouldn't be anything other than just a spot starter whose job's to eat up, you know, four to five innings before turning it over to the bullpen. If he gives you anything else on a, in a daily basis, great, but that's really all you should ever ask for him. Um, so if Pomeranz comes back first, which it looks like he's more likely to do, I'd give him a spot or t- uh, start or two. Um, I was on the podcast when he was going through his early struggles. I was one of those who gave him a longer leash than most. And um, when he went on the DL after... Uh, I think it was his start against Houston. I thought, okay, this is just going to be a 10-day trip so they don't have to make an immediate roster move. But the fact that he's still on the DL kind of shows me that whatever he had was maybe not like super serious, but at the very least bugging him. So I'm hoping that um, maybe with some time to iron out, get healthy, Pomerantz can come back, be a guy a little bit closer to 2017, um, sort of, and uh, show it in maybe his spot starts. When Wright does come back, um, he's shown that he is far superior to Pomerantz this season when he's healthy. But my question is, can you trust Wright to be healthy? He's um, He missed you know, the second half of 16 with the shoulder injury, all of 17 with the knee and the shoulder, and now he's injured the knee again. So if he's going to be a guy that's more susceptible to injuries, and I think about just putting him in the bullpen just because it puts less strain on a body to be a bullpen on than someone whose job it is to eat up a lot of innings. If you feel comfortable in saying this knee flare-up was just a fluke, he's fine going forward, put him in the starting rotation. But I'm not sure if you could be comfortable doing that. This best, the best version of this team has Stephen Wright in it in some form. And I think uh, in order to keep him healthy down the stretch, I'd you probably use him as a bullpen assuming that Pomerantz is able to at least be an adequate number five starter. Is there any part of you that would consider the Red Sox actually like looking for a fifth starter on the market? I mean, if Wright and Pomerantz are, you know, is injured and they can't work past these injuries and they are, I would say more susceptible than a lot of other guys to these constant injury plagues. Um, would you, if you were Dave Dombrowski look for a fifth starter? Um, I'd look in the bargain bin if I was looking anywhere, but honestly, I don't think that 
I mean, you can never have too much pitching, but I really don't see an immediate need there. Um, you've got Chris Sale as your true ace. If he goes down, season's over anyway, so why bother? <laughs> exactly. Um, you got Price, Porcello, and Eddie are a great two, three, four. Um, and the fifth starter between one of jo- Johnson, Pomeranz, Wright, and even Velasquez, I'd be comfortable with sending any of those guys out for a fifth game. And in the playoffs, you're on a four-man rotation, so you really wouldn't even care about who your fifth starter was by that point. So um, if you can get somebody cheap who's a bit of an upgrade on Pomeranz or on right, and I think it's hard to find a guy who's going to be an upgrade on the ceilings of Pomeranz or right because both guys, when they're on, they're great. You saw that through right 16 and this year, and you saw it through Pomeranz 2017. So I really don't think there's going to be a guy that we can afford that's going to be an upgrade on anything we can throw out of a fifth starter. And that's and I've spoken to this before. I really don't want us to mortgage what's left of the farm system for this year. I think we've got a good team. I think this team, as is, can compete for a World Series, and all we should do from now is just fill out the depth roles. So what I'm what I'm hearing is you don't want the Red Sox to try and trade for Matt Harvey. So no, no Matt Harvey, no Dark Knight. Is that what I'm getting? Oh, God, let's, let's not bring that on ourselves. <laughs> He's on the trade block, by the way. So you know, uh, no, I'm 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 completely kidding. No, Matt Harvey. I don't think they should trade for a starter either. I think they have nice. Uh, they have a really good top four, and then the fifth spot, you got decent options in Wright and Pomeranz, and Brian Johnson's been good. Um, maybe a little love for Jalen Beeks. I know everybody hates him after his uh, his one outing against t- the Tigers this season. Um, but I'm still kind of a believer in Jalen Beeks, I guess. He's done really well this year. Um, so, Jalen, keep on doing what you're doing, and when you get your next cup of tea, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be ready for it. But that's actually going to do it for this episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered Podcast. Um, so you can listen to us on a myriad of places. This can be found on Spreaker. You can, this can be found on iTunes. We're on iTunes. Subscribe and like to us there. Uh, subscribe and listen, not subscribe and like. But you can like us too. Um, we're also on SoundCloud, and we are the featured Red Sox site for the Grueling Truth Network. So definitely check them out. We put some of our articles and the podcast on there, and they're awesome. They cover every kind of sport. So definitely give them a, a, a peep. And, um, yeah, you can listen to that, our podcast there, too. Um, do we have any departing thoughts? Uh, Dave, I'm going to start with you. Do you want to say anything to the people? Um, not too much to say other than, you know, go Red Sox. We've got a really easy schedule ahead. We're two games up on the Yankees. Let's keep on building on it. Heck, yes. What about you, Jordan? Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, same thing. Let's, uh, let's take advantage of what we have right now, and then uh, hopefully we'll, we'll have built up the lead by the end of this, uh, well, I don't think it's a road trip, but, no, that's part of the schedule. Okay. Uh, That will do it for this episode. Um, The Red Sox play the Royals at 7 o'clock tonight. I believe David Price is going, so hopefully he can resurge and bounce back here tonight. So we'll see that, and uh, we'll talk about that. You can follow us on Twitter, at Unfiltered, like our Facebook page, and visit RedSoxUnfiltered.com. We all write there, and it's it's pretty good. Um, Yeah, so do that. Um, But, yeah. I hope you guys have a great one, and we will definitely see you on the next episode. See you guys.